for an enhanced experience. View this episode of On The Call at ny2c.com. An NY2C exclusive podcast. You're listening to On The Call, the latest news and opinions on all things New York sports. With Joey Rinaldi and Derek Futterman. On The Call starts now. Live from City Field, it's NY2C's On The Call, the sports podcast, all things New York sports. I'm Derek Futterman, joined as always by Joey Rinaldi. And boy, this was a very interesting last week for the Mets. They finally finished that tough 13-game stretch against the Giants and Dodgers. They take two out of three here at home against the Washington Nationals. But then after the game on Sunday, Javier Baez made some interesting comments explaining the thumbs-down gesture every time the Mets got a hit, saying that, It was their way of booing the fans when the team did well after the fans booed them so much when they were struggling. Joey, I don't think this really flies too well in New York. What are your thoughts on what happened with the Mets? I have one thing to say to Javier Baez. Welcome to New York, baby. This is New York. You're supposed to get booed. It's like a passage of right. And if you can't handle it, get the hell out of this city. I didn't even want him here in the first place. So good riddance. Baez is a free agent after the season, and, you know, he has been struggling. A lot of his hits for the Mets have been home runs, but he hasn't been doing much else besides hitting those home runs and striking out, even though some great defensive plays over the last week. Yo, Uh, speaking of striking out, he said that it's expected for a baseball player to mess up 7 out of 10 times. He's batting 200. He means 8 out of 10 times. He couldn't even get that stat right. The guy's a fool. He's immature, he's juvenile, and uh, I'm sick of it. Steve Cohen said in an interview, the Mets owner, that the team essentially struck the third rail doing what they did to the fan base. And when you go against your fan base, that's just, I don't think it's a good thing in general, especially in New York. So, Joey, with the Mets having a lot of home games left in this season in September, what do you think they're going to do to, you know, kind of win the fans back here at City Field? Uh, win the fans back? You got to hit home runs and actually go mess up. Uh, seven out of ten and not eight out of ten the way he's been doing you got to play well baby and like it's so funny to me that he's like shocked by this because like new york's like the toughest city in the world like i was just telling you off air before that i went to a hippie concert here grateful dead show that the most peace-loving place in the world where everyone's hugging and dancing and guess what because i was in new york there was a fist fight new york's the only city that can make hippies fight and if you're at a baseball game you're gonna get booed and uh lindor and uh pillar don't join the new guy be a Met, don't boot, don't put your thumbs down, it's lame. You know, the Mets are 9-20 over their last 29 games. They've been really struggling, especially this month in August. That put them from first place now to third place in the National League East. Meanwhile, the Yankees, winners of 13-15, right on the tails of Tampa, second in the division. I think it's got to be even worse when your competitor across town is the hottest team in baseball. Uh, all the Mets season ticket holders... Just try to transfer those tickets over Yankees right now because those games are fucking amazing right now. The Yankees, they're killing it. They're on win streaks after win streak. And I think they're shooting for the World Series right now. The Yankees certainly look like a legitimate World Series contender. And, you know, the Mets, again, they have a lot of work to do in the division. They're currently seven and a half back from the Atlanta Braves. So it should be a really interesting last month of the season. Welcome back to On The Call, an NY2C exclusive podcast. 
Welcome back to On the Call, an NY2C exclusive sports podcast. Derek Futterman, as always, joined by Joey Rinaldi. Well, today we're thrilled to welcome a broadcaster for the NHL, NBA, MLB, NFL. You can pretty much hear him on any sport uh, in the New York metro area and around the United States. It's Kenny Albert. Kenny, how are you doing this morning? I'm great, Derek and Joey. How are you? Doing great, man. So happy to have you on the show. Yep, doing well here. Uh, so I have to start with the first question. You recently called the Olympics, but you did it from your home. So how was that experience not traveling to Tokyo this year and, you know, really following these athletes from afar more so than ever? Well, I have had uh, the experience uh, of covering six prior Olympics on site, uh, which were unbelievable, a lot of fun. Uh, I've done five Winter Olympics uh, beginning with Salt Lake City in 2002, and then Torino, Vancouver, Sochi, and Pyeongchang, and I was in Rio in 2016 as well. Uh, this year's Olympics were a lot different for many of us uh, who were calling various sports for NBC. Uh, some of the broadcasters were actually in Tokyo, but most of us were in Stanford, Connecticut at the NBC studios, so I was calling uh, volleyball and beach volleyball matches and a couple of baseball games involving Team USA, uh, in a small booth off a monitor. So it, it was a lot different. It brought me back to my childhood when I announced games off the television into a tape recorder. And of course, during the past year, uh, during the pandemic, uh, during the NHL and NBA season last year, for example, we did not do a lot of traveling for away games. We called uh, numerous games uh, off monitors uh, from Madison Square Garden, from radio studios in New York, as most broadcasters did uh in all four major sports, NHL, NBA, NFL, and MLB last season. And many teams are still doing it that way for road games this season. Um, it hasn't gone as uh, – I feel like it's gone better than I thought as far as calling games off the monitors during the NHL season, for example. I felt like you could see about 85% of what you normally would if you were in the arena. You might miss a penalty being called behind the play. Uh, you might not see when exactly the goalies pulled. You might not be able to see the action going on around the bench area, the line changes, but uh, it really hasn't been too bad. Uh, and, and like I said, many of us have done it. Uh, working the Olympics is always a thrill. Uh, like I said, a little bit different this year doing it out of the studios, but uh, still very exciting. The only, the big adjustment was that we had to adjust to Tokyo time uh, because so many of the events were taking place in the middle of the night here in the Eastern time zone. So, for example, I might have a, I might have had a, a volleyball match at starting at three in the morning Eastern or five a.m. Uh, the baseball game started at six a.m. So, there were a lot of uh, three and four hour naps, sleeping in shifts, uh, but all good. It was a lot of fun. What was it like to be on Tokyo time in America, especially like trying to deal with the, the normal day to day stuff of like having a family and trying to do normal stuff. Yeah, it was different, Joey. I was, they put many of us uh, up in a hotel in Stamford, Connecticut, uh, the Greenwich area. So I was in a hotel for two weeks, even though I was close to home, about 45 minutes from uh, uh, where I live in northern New Jersey. Uh, but we really did have to adjust. Uh, I slept a lot during the day. Um, it, it wasn't always the full six or seven hour, you know, like you would hope to get overnight. I might sleep for three hours, wake up, go have a meal sleep for another two hours, and then go into work at two in the morning. Uh, the eating schedule was definitely thrown off. Uh, they had a huge cafeteria for everybody at the NBC facility. And because everybody was on different schedules and, and different shifts, um, 
they would have breakfast, lunch, and dinner available at all times. So uh, there was one morning, uh, in the middle of the night, early morning, where I was in at 3 a.m., so I had breakfast when I arrived, and I think I had a cheesesteak at about 9.30 in the morning. So <laughs> that's something that wouldn't wouldn't normally happen uh, you know, during the course of a day, but uh, we really had to adjust our schedules, and it, it was uh, upside down for many of those days. All right, Kenny. Well, you have a father who just retired from broadcasting, Marv. Uh, what was that like growing up with Marv doing the NBA games and, you know, kind of doing a similar kind of path to you doing as many, uh, a lot of different sports? What, what was that like having him? It was great. I mean, I didn't know any different. Uh, that was how it was from the time that, uh, you know, when I was five years old and I was first aware of what he did and I received a tape recorder for my birthday and I started to announce games into the tape recorder in my bedroom and I would tag along uh, during my childhood. He was doing the Knicks and Rangers on the radio, uh, the six and 11 o'clock news at WNBC uh, football and boxing on the weekends for NBC as well. So uh, it was great. Uh, I got to attend a lot of games and really learn via osmosis. And when I was old enough, I would start to keep the stats for him at hockey and basketball and football games and would start to travel a little bit. So uh, I felt like I had a great teacher and, uh, really could not have enjoyed my childhood uh, any more than I did. So it sounds like you had your 10,000 hours uh, announcing through a TV then if you had to record it at five years old. then. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I, I did a lot of games into a tape recorder. Um, really, my one of my biggest breaks was in high school. I, I attended uh, Schreiber High School on Long Island in Port Washington, New York. And I did a lot of writing for the school newspaper, for the town newspaper. So I was covering all the uh, basketball games, boys and girls, basketball games, football, baseball, soccer. So I was at all of the sporting events during my high school days. And in 10th grade, a local cable station, Cox Cable of Great Neck, by total coincidence, came to my school to film a girls basketball game. This was in January of 1984. And I introduced myself to the producer and I volunteered. They did not have announcers. They had two cameras and a small production van. And I volunteered to do the game and they clipped a microphone onto my shirt. I spoke to the producer after the game and he offered me the opportunity uh, to work some more games. And over the course of the next three years, I probably worked 75 to hundred high school games all around Long Island, division three college games at the U S merchant Marine Academy football and basketball. And it was unbelievable experience. You know, back then kids who wanted to get into play by play did not really have an opportunity until college these days. Uh, at a much younger age, there were sports casting camps and opportunities in high school. But back then, those things didn't exist. So I felt I had a three-year head start. And I would bring friends along as, as my color analyst. And uh, it was tremendous. We, you know, you name the sport, we did it. And when I started college, I already had those three years or 10,000 hours, as Joey referenced, of experience doing actual play-by-play. So, so that actually uh, answers a question of mine, because I was going to say, like doing something like the Olympics, where like you're seeing athletes and players that you don't know that well all the time, how much homework goes into it. But if you're doing like some JV volleyball team out in the middle of Long Island, you're probably no stranger than to adjusting on the fly to athletes you're not used to commentating for. Yeah, absolutely. And back then the Internet didn't exist. So, of course, there was not, <laughs> there was not a lot of information available. And. I would, uh, I would write letters to the athletic directors and they would send rosters and other information if available. Um, I would go talk to the coaches before the games and go over pronunciations. 
these days there's so much information available, no matter what the sport, what level uh, on the internet. But working volleyball at the recent Olympics, that did bring me back to those days because I had never really done volleyball before. I think I worked one match back in uh, in the early 90s, a, a collegiate volleyball match. So um, I had to learn a new sport, the lingo, uh, the rules, the history, and did a lot of studying. Uh, not ashamed to admit that I purchased the book, Volleyball for Dummies. I read through that. <laughs> That's the cover. I'm serious. Uh, I actually spent time with the local high school volleyball coach uh, where my kids went to high school in New Jersey, and she was terrific. Uh, My partner on the volleyball matches for NBC, Amy Gant, was a former national team member, and uh, she was great as far as uh, teaching me and, uh, you know, just listening to her and and spending hours talking and um, working the actual matches. So that did bring me back to my childhood, uh, learning a new sport and, uh, like I said, having to learn all the lingo and the rules and the history and the names and doing all the research. Uh, But it was a lot of fun. I love the variety. I had a similar experience in Rio when I worked track and field and had never worked that sport before. So, um, you know, to me, the variety is one of the, one of the things that uh, makes my job so exciting, working numerous sports. So let's get into now uh, some of the jobs you're working. You currently do the Rangers over on ESPN radio. And uh, I have to ask, you know, this off season, it, it seems, I don't know if it was catalyzed by the incident with our Timmy Panarin and uh, Tom Wilson of the Capitals when, you know, Tom Wilson essentially went at Panarin uh, extremely rough and didn't get a suspension for it. Uh, but, you know, the Rangers got tougher this offseason. They got Sammy Blaze, Barkley Goodrow, uh, Ryan Reeves. So, you know, that combined with losing Pavel Buchnevich, uh, what, do you, what is your outlook for the Rangers heading into this season after they fell short of the playoffs? Just not by too much. They were right on the cusp. What's your outlook for the team? Well, I'm excited about the Rangers moving forward. I think, uh, you know, since the letter was sent out in February 2018, uh, talking about uh, what they were going to do as far as the build. Uh, they never called it a rebuild. It was a build uh, by trading a number of veteran players and acquiring draft picks and assets and younger players. And I think they've done an unbelievable job. You know, when you look at some of the players they've drafted and acquired, uh, did get lucky as well in the two lotteries, uh, getting the second pick and then the first overall pick last year, uh, trading for Adam Fox, who won the Norris Trophy in his second season, uh, trading for Ryan Lindgren, integrating the young players into the lineup, Lafreniere, Kako, Kravtsov, uh, right on down the line, Keandre Miller, Igor Shesterkin. And then by adding the players that Derek mentioned, uh, Ryan Reeves, who uh, has had a, a you know a real good NHL career, um, has been to a Stanley Cup final with Vegas, has a lot of playoff experience, brings toughness. Uh, Sammy Blay, who won a Stanley Cup with St. Louis, has skill and toughness as well. Barkley Goodrow. Uh, we all saw what he was able to do during the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, back-to-back Stanley Cup runs, um, but they still have all that skill with with Zibanejad and Panarin and Kreider and the kids who I mentioned and Ryan Strom and right on down the line. So uh, moving forward, excited about what uh, the Rangers did during the offseason. Um, I've known Chris Drury for a long time since his playing days, now the president and general manager. Uh, they have a new head coach, as you guys know, and Gerard Gallant, so – um, you know, I see the Islander jersey behind Derek. It's always exciting, and the Ranger jersey as well. To me, when all three teams in the area are doing well and make the playoffs, it just raises the profile of hockey in the New York metropolitan area. The Islanders have had two great runs. Uh, the Devils have made a lot of major improvements. So uh, to me, when all three teams are going well, that's when hockey in the New York area is at its best. 
Well, I certainly agree there. So now you also do the Knicks on TV and the radio as well. So the Knicks obviously were the four seed in the Eastern Conference last year, and they made the playoffs for the first time uh, since the Carmelo Anthony days. Uh, now they're being led by a young core of Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, Emmanuel Quickly. They have a lot of good young talent, and they also were able to keep some of the veterans, Derek Rose, and, and they got Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier this offseason. So what's your outlook on the hardwood for the Knicks? Well, they had a tremendous year this past year, and uh, as you mentioned, I do have the opportunity to work approximately 20 games a year with Clyde Frazier, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, oh, awesome. Especially this past season. Uh, we didn't travel. We did the home games from MSG, and we did the away games from the studio at MSG across the street. But uh, when they brought in Tom Thibodeau, uh, you know, you can just sense a change within the organization. A terrific head coach and his entire staff. Uh, Leon Rose and Scott Perry in the front office. And when you look at some of the moves they made both last year and this year, uh, just so exciting. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, it had been a while since they made it to the postseason, but uh, so much fun to watch the young players develop. Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin last year's first round picks. And then uh, with the season that Julius Randle had, the most improved player in the NBA and an all star, Derek Rose was a major factor after he was acquired from Detroit. Uh, so moving forward again, high expectations, fourth in the conference last year, adding Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier and some of the young players, uh, having just another year of experience, uh, behind them, I think, uh, similar to the Rangers, exciting times moving forward, uh, at the garden for the Knicks as well. Kenny, uh, being a part of the Knicks team and culture, your whole, for such a long time, I want to know, how do you feel the Tibbs era feels different? Like, does it feel different to you? Because I personally feel like there's like a different buzz in New York right now around basketball since Tibbs has taken over. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you look at what he's done, uh, NBA coach of the year uh, with Chicago, had tremendous success there. And, you know, certain coaches, Joey, in all sports, you think about Bill Parcells in football or a Belichick or, a, uh, you know, a Phil Jackson or a Pat Riley, um, certain guys in the NHL, a Barry Trotz, for example, uh, you know, there's just something, the the aura surrounding them. They they step in and seem to have immediate success no matter where they go. And, um, you know, it's the same thing with, with Tom Thibodeau. Uh, when you look back at his career and whether it was as a head coach in Chicago, an assistant coach in Boston when they won a championship, uh, he just does a tremendous job. He's such a hard worker. You know, I heard players mention that he, he gets into the office, you know, before they get there. He's there at 6 a.m. watching film and studying and preparing and doesn't leave until 11 o'clock at night. Basketball is his life, and it certainly shows and paid off for the Knicks last season. So, Kenny, with the Brooklyn Nets across the river having three stars in Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant, a real legitimate shot to win the NBA title in the next two to three years, uh, how are the Knicks trying to position themselves really to win this culture war of sorts uh, with New York City right now between the two clubs? I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and there was nothing like a Rangers-Islanders game, whether at the Garden or the Coliseum. You know, we've all... Uh, lived through the Yankees and Red Sox, uh, the heyday back in 2003 and 2004. Rivalries are a big part of what makes sports and uh, watching sports and attending games so great. And Knicks and Nets, you know, moving forward should be an unbelievable rivalry for the next uh, five, 10 years, hopefully. I have a random question to ask you, Cuddy. This may be from left field, but um, I, I watch like a lot of Knicks games and listen to the Knicks on the radio and stuff. And I feel like whatever. Uh, it cuts back to from the commercial. 
am I wrong? I always feel like you and Clyde are always like laughing about something. And I feel like, like you guys have a lot of like, hilarious chemistry. So I just want to know, like, what is the funny banter that's going on that we can't hear <laughs> off air? Because I always feel like there's like some like hilarious stuff happening between you guys. You know, he, he's the best. Uh, love working with Clyde. Uh, Mike Breen and Clyde have tremendous chemistry. They're probably, in my opinion, uh, you know, one of the top uh, broadcasting tandems in the NBA of all time. And then I have the opportunity to slide over and work about uh, 20 or 25 games. But I don't know if there's one specific thing I could think back to, but um, he's so much fun to work with. And he was obviously a legend on the court. He's a legend off the court. I think the young viewers, and that probably includes you guys these days, never saw him play in person. You only know him as a broadcaster, um, as a restaurateur, fashion <laughs> um, icon, as, as, as a guy in, in commercials for so many different products. But uh, he's so much fun to be around. And uh, we always have a lot of laughter with, with Clyde and with the entire crew, the production guys and uh, Mike Breen, of course, uh, and Clyde during the games that they work together. So I don't know if there's one specific thing I could think back on, but just his stories are unbelievable. Um, you know, when he talks about uh, growing up in Atlanta and his high school days and then uh, starring at Southern Illinois and playing in the NIT at the Garden, that was sort of his coming out party as a basketball player and then uh, getting drafted by the Knicks. And um, his stories never get old. Uh, he's he's mentioned on the air numerous times, and I, I love uh, you know hearing about it, even though I've heard the story uh, numerous times when he won the all-star game MVP in Phoenix, I think it was 1974. And he actually bought a first class seat for the trophy. The, the trophy <laughs> was about four or five feet high and Clyde bought a first class seat on the airplane to bring the trophy home. Uh, the most valuable player trophy from the all-star game. But, um, and, and he, he follows the game so closely. He watches so many NBA games and college games and he'll make references during broadcast. Uh, you know, the things that happen, you know, in a late night game uh, the night before, you know, you have no idea why he was even up still watching, but he's such a student of the game. Um, I always love when some of the star players come over and uh, just want to shake his hand. And I've witnessed LeBron James and Shaquille O'Neal and so many others. The star players know the other star players, even though they were in a different generation. And I always really get a kick out of when one of those stars comes over just to just to uh, pay homage to Clyde and shake his hand. That's great. I mean, again, Clyde is such a legend and I enjoy his rhyming during the broadcast. So I think that's <laughs> definitely and, and he works hard at it. He really does. He, he, <laughs> he compiles lists and he, he really studies and uh, they're not all just spur of the moment. He, he puts a lot of time and preparation into it. What's your favorite rhyme? Just curious. <laughs> Well, you know, there, there are so many wishing and dishing, uh, oh, swooping and hooping. Uh, he's, had, he's had a lot of good ones. I enjoy uh, when new players come to the team and he'll, he'll immediately. It's like John Sterling with the home run calls. Yeah. Uh, when the Yankees acquire a player, he'll come up with a new phrase or a new rhyme pretty quickly. Uh, so transitioning now over to football, uh, the Jets and Giants both have two young quarterbacks this season, Zach Wilson and Daniel Jones. Uh, what do you, what's your opinion on what's going to be, uh, or your outlook, what's going to be going on, uh, over at MetLife stadium this year? Well, haven't seen Zach Wilson at all, uh, in person or on television. So I can't really comment. I've read, you know, it sounds like he's making good progress. Um, I worked the preseason games for Washington. So I was working, uh, most of the time when the Jets were playing, but I will, 
Uh, look forward to watching the games during the regular season. I do have two Giant games coming up, week three against Atlanta, week four against New Orleans. Uh, watched the Giant game the other day against the Patriots. Um, have worked a lot of Giant games the last two years since Daniel Jones was drafted. And I think his his best game may have actually been his first start, which I worked down in Tampa two years ago when he led the big comeback and the Giants uh, wound up winning that game. Tampa Bay missed a field goal in the final seconds. But um, I think he's on the right track. You know, it takes time with these young quarterbacks. You know, I think back Aaron Rodgers barely played his first three years. Uh, Drew Brees sat his first season. So many other star quarterbacks didn't even play and sat and watched for a year or two. So uh, Daniel Jones was thrown right into the mix early in September in his rookie season. Uh, it does take time, but I like what I've seen. And uh, again, it's great for the area when both the Giants and Jets are doing well. So uh, the Giants just missed out on a playoff spot last year. It's been a while for the Jets, but um, you know, hopefully they can both put it together and have real good seasons. All right, Kenny. And to close out the four major sports, baseball, the Mets and the Yankees, obviously trending in different directions over the last month. The Mets have really struggled going nine and 20 in August. And the Yankees uh, were on a 13 game winning streak until they lost their last three now. So what do you see in the final month of the season for these two teams, uh, especially with the Mets under new ownership? Well, it's been a a bit of a role reversal. The Mets got off to the good start. The Yankees struggled and now the Mets are obviously heading in the opposite direction and some controversy with the thumbs down incident the other day. Uh, the Yankees did win the 13 in a row. So um, I, I think the Yankees, uh, I think we'll see the Yankees in the postseason. Uh, the Mets, it's unfortunate the turn they've taken. Uh, when you look at ownership, they put so much money and resources into this team. So I think over the long haul, they'll be fine. But uh, uh, I think at this point, you know, you certainly have to look at the uptrending Yankees as the playoff team in New York this season. Uh, yeah. Well, if you were calling the game when uh, they were doing the thumbs down, <laughs> how would you have? Uh, what would your uh, take would have been during that moment? You know, I'm not sure we would have even realized uh, what was going on. Right. I, I wasn't watching the game, but I know uh, we heard about it via social media and, uh, you know, newspaper reports after the game. So I'm not really sure that I would have picked up on it uh, as it was happening, or at least we wouldn't have known exactly what they were doing and what they meant by it. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly very interesting. I know with the Yankees, they had it for a different reason. When the fan at City Field, when they had to play that game for the hurricane down in Tampa, they they, they were doing the thumbs down gesture at City Field. Uh, but, you know, this is a completely different thing. So uh, the Mets certainly have a lot of explaining to do, and it should be interesting to see uh, what way they spin it. Uh, so my question, another question for you now for young broadcasters, what advice do you have for them getting into this industry? You're calling so many sports and doing a lot of different teams. What is your advice to someone who wants to take a similar career path? Well, a couple of things. First of all, uh, preparation to me is the key. You can never be overprepared, um, to young broadcasters. And I speak to a lot of high school and college broadcasters every year. Uh, there are so many opportunities out there. These days, uh, like I said, when I was growing up, when I was younger, not as many opportunities. But now so many high schools and colleges have uh, television, radio programs, uh, newspapers, websites that you can write for. And there are so many jobs behind the scenes. Uh, if being in front of the microphone or camera isn't your thing, uh, look into producing, directing, running camera, doing graphics. Uh, so many colleges these days are affiliated with uh, for example, the ACC network, the Big Ten network, all of the schools and those conferences give students an opportunity 
uh, to work on telecasts at sporting events, uh, whether in front of the microphone or camera or behind the scenes. So search out those opportunities, get as many reps as you can in as many different areas as you can, and uh, just try to find your passion and what you love to do. And uh, the opportunities are out there. All right. Well, Kenny, my final question for you is uh, you've called so many sports. Is there a sport that you haven't called that you want to call in the future? Not really. I've been fortunate enough to uh, work for many, many years doing hockey, football, basketball and baseball. I've done track and field and volleyball, as we discussed at the Olympics. Uh, I can't really think of another sport that I haven't done. Um, I'm always intrigued by curling when I watch curling at the Winter Olympics. <laughs> I was about to ask. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd, I'd have to learn that one. I don't, I don't really know much about it, but uh, I've never really done tennis or golf. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big tennis fan. I play tennis. So, you know, maybe that's one that's at some point down the line, maybe there would be an opportunity, but uh, uh, very lucky again to be involved in the in the four major sports for such a long time. Well, maybe the U.S. Open needs to sub you in soon. <laughs> Always love watching the Open. Again, we thank Kenny Albert for the time this morning. And, Joey, speaking of the U.S. Open, we were there earlier this week, the first time with fans in two years due to COVID-19. And uh, we caught up with some people on the street. Let's go there now and see what happened. Welcome back to On the Call, an NY2C exclusive podcast. Welcome to NY2C's On The Call. We're coming at you live from the U.S. Open here at Flushing Meadows Corona Park in Queens, New York. I'm Derek Futterman, joined, as always, by Joey Rinaldi. Joey, before we get into the tournament here this uh, these next two weeks, what is your experience with tennis? Have you played in the past? I was actually the captain of my JV tennis wow. team in high school. Haven't worn this outfit since JV tennis, so it feels good to be back in my old tennis gear. And uh, it was very prestigious of me because they said uh, that no one was signing up for JV. So uh, I said, I'll sign up if you let me be the captain. Well, it's a very exciting week here indeed at the U.S. Open. Novak Djokovic, Coco Golf, and just Naomi Osaka. A lot of exciting players are here in Flushing. And as you can see behind us, the fans are flocking into this opening week of the U.S. Open here at the park. So, Joey, I have to ask you, you know, coming here to the park again and seeing tennis in person, it brings back some memories for you, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, my heart goes out to all the people who are going to lose matches because I was zero and like 30 in my time in high school. As the captain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there for morale, you know? I was there for, for, for very much like on our podcast. You're the hype man. Yeah, I'm the hype yeah. man. I, I, I'm here for moral support. And so if anyone loses their match, come and find me. I'll cheer you up, I'll give you some positive affirmations. It'll be a great day. And for those who you've been watching for a while, you, Joey, you found a dive bar right here at the U.S. Open. Well, so I got, got? Thurston way over here, so I had to pull out a Heineken. Don't worry, it's non-alcoholic because somebody needs to slow down. I've been having a crazy summer, Derek. Hello, I am here with my good buddy Aaron, who I just found walking into the match. Aaron, how do you feel about being at the U.S. Open right now? Oh, it's great to be back, you know, after a tough year and a half with, you know, coronavirus. It's good to be bad. It's good to see all the fans, and it's good to see people enjoying it and having fun. How long of a fan have you been of tennis? Um, you know, I started playing tennis in you know, high school. Um, dabbled with it in college when I was playing football. And uh, you still play? Uh, every now and then, when I get a chance to get out, I play. 
Uh, honestly, how do you think you'd handle yourself out there? You think you can uh, play uh, any of these guys? I'm a little old now, but uh, you know, I'm still athletic, and you know, we're, I'm, I'm black, so. <laughs> I'm black, so we're athletic. So I think I could hold my own with the, maybe the younger ones, but I'm a little old. We'll see. Uh, how good is your trivia on uh, tennis, especially uh, the U.S. Open? It's not that well, but go ahead. Uh, I'll give you a softball real fast. Okay, okay. Do you know the four uh, the four matches you have to win to get a Grand Slam? The Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, the French Open, and the Come on, Australian Open. There we go. I wish I had an award to give you, but we had nothing. Uh, uh, here we go. Here's a tough one. Okay. Do you know how many uh, Grand Slams um, Serena Williams has won? Ah. Uh, 10, 11? No. Oh, I'm not even close. Bigger. 15, 17. 23. 23 Grand Slams. Pretty she's the, she's the GOAT. She's the GOAT. She is the GOAT. But she pulled out, right? You know. Yeah, she she's not out. here today. Right, she she, she's letting the youngsters have a chance yeah, for once. Yeah. Uh, who, who, are you, who are you most excited to see uh, today? Um, No one in particular. I just, I, I'm just, you know, looking forward to see the crowd back and everyone just having a good time and, you know, not no politics involved, you know, people just coming out having a good time. Cool. Aaron, thank you so much for talking to me. Absolutely. And uh, remember to check out NYTC. Uh, you got it, buddy. Cool. Have Thanks, brother. Have a great Thank day, you. man. Hey, I'm back with Eduardo Nava. What brings you to the U.S. Open today? I'm actually here watching my younger brother play. He's in the main draw, so he plays an Italian player tomorrow. So here with the family and just ready to watch him compete. Uh, what's it like to be in the States and support your brother? Uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, uh, I'm in college currently play college tennis and coming here watching all the pros and him interacting with all the pros is really, really fun time. So. Uh, how, were you able to attend any of the matches back when uh, COVID wasn't allowed audience in the, in the arenas? Not necessarily, no. Uh, you know, we were just at home just like everyone else and just kind of playing tennis in lockdown. Uh, as a tennis player yourself, how does it feel, how does the energy feel different now that people are back in? I think it's amazing. I mean, I looked at the bridge today and there's so many people uh, something that I haven't really seen in the past couple of years coming here. So I think everybody's just really hungry to get back out there and everyone's just waiting to watch the players compete. Uh, besides watching your brother, is there anything else you're very looking forward to about the U.S. Open this year? Uh, just getting to know all the people, just every, getting every, all the familiar faces back in here and just really getting to feel the vibes of tennis. Cool. And uh, before we let you get out of here, uh, how can people support you? Where, where's your, where do you play? What's your college? Uh, I play for Wake Forest University. So yeah, I'm, I'm over there. I'm graduating next year, and um, just gonna be there for you know my time being, and, and ready to, to see what's next. Everyone watching NYTC, definitely keep up with Wake Forest tennis this year, and keep up out for Eduardo. Awesome. Well, this was certainly a fun day here at the U.S. Open. Joey, what did you enjoy most about it? I enjoyed that I got that terrible smell of the Mets booing out of my nose because I got to meet a lot of fun people out at the Open. That really cheered me up. Well, check out the U.S. Open here at Flushing Meadows Corona Park while it's back here in New York. First time in two years that a crowd is allowed in, obviously, due to COVID-19. And we'll see you next week on On the Call, the NYTC exclusive sports podcast, all things New York sports. Listen to us on all audio platforms or watch us on video over at NYTC.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. On the Call, new episodes every week. Available wherever you get your podcasts and online at NY2C.com. So Joey, what you what did you think of that Heineken uh, you had at the open? I have terrible news. After I chugged it down, I found out it was non-alcoholic, but the placebo still worked because I was feeling a little buzz and it felt good. 
I'm sure it did. Well, we also best wishes to Howie Rose, the Mets voice on WCBS 880. He has some surgery he has to undergo to treat a medical condition. He'll be back in 2022. So all the best to Howie Rose. We're looking forward to hearing you put it in the books again uh, next season on the radio. Well, Well, next time I'm at the dive bar, we'll all pour a little bit out for him and hope he gets better soon.